Good morning. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I, I want to read real quick uh, the lyrics of that last song that we just sang. It says, Though the earth cried out for blood, satisfied her hunger was. Her billows calmed on raging seas for the souls of man she craved. Sun and moon from balcony turned their head in disbelief. Their precious love would taste the stained, the sting, disfigured and disdained. And then the chorus says this, on Friday a thief, on Sunday a king. Let me think about that. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king. Laid down in grief, but awoke with the keys. The keys of what? The keys of hell on that day. He's the firstborn of the slain. The man Jesus Christ laid death in his grave. When Christ overcame death, he laid death in death's grave. Um, and we get to celebrate that today, right? Uh, we don't celebrate a dead Savior, a, a good concept, a, a way to be good people. We celebrate someone who overcame death, someone who put death in its grave, someone who stomped the head of Satan. We worship someone who loved us enough to die on the cross in our place. We worship someone who's worth worshiping, right? Not someone who's a good thought. We worship someone worth worshiping. So, today, I want us to, uh, we're kind of coming to an end. We have one more week in this series on community. And it fits rather nicely uh, with, uh, with the topic of, of Easter today. Uh, but I want to start with a question. The question is this. What is it that unites the body of Christ, so the church? What is it that unites the community? Now, we've talked about this a number of different times. and There might be a number of different answers, but there's a particular answer that we're looking for today in this text to answer the question of, what is it that unites the body of Christ? What is it that brings them together, that keeps them solidified? What is it they, they do life together the way they do and why is it they relate to each other the way that they relate and why is it that God has commanded us to treat each other the way he has according to Romans chapter 12. What is it that draws us closer to each other? What is it that the body of Christ should have that the rest of the world does not? Oh, I got two waters now. Thank you. What is it that the body of Christ has that the rest of the world does not have? Unfortunately, if you've been around churches long enough, I think you can see that this is probably absent in many churches. And that's just because we're all sinful. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, that we have it perfected here by any means. We don't have uh, the corner of the market on the Holy Spirit or the Word of God or any of those things. Uh, but we want to live in light of this Word, and so that's why we study it. I propose to you that there's many things that unite us as a community, but I think this is foundational that we're going to talk about today. This is foundational. 
And my proposition for us this morning, according to the text, is this. It's the first thing on your paper there. It says, we are united as a community by one common hope that births one common joy that is deepened by tribulations as we commune with God together through prayer. Let's read that again. We are united as a community by one common hope that births one common joy that is deepened by tribulations as we commune with God together through prayer. Now, uh, if you're uh, a guest this morning, I'd like to make you feel super welcome. I want to encourage you uh, on there. I'm going to work right through that outline that's on the back of your notes. Uh, And kind of the way we progress is basically we're going to take a phrase and we'll talk about it. So it's really easy that if you want to jot down some notes or some questions, uh, it's really simple. We're basically, we'll take a verse, we'll talk about a specific phrase, or take a specific phrase, and then we'll, we're going to talk about it. We'll, we'll discuss that, or, uh, uh, so it'll be pretty, uh, pretty easy to follow along there. I want to encourage you to do that. Um, but let's read so we can kind of set the context here. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will, uh, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with seal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And our verse for today is this, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So verse 12 is our concentration today. That's what we're going to focus in on. But the rest of that sets the context. And, uh, and we've been preaching on all of the other verses, even including 13 over the past four weeks. Uh, this is the fifth week. But we see the context here. The context is what the Christian looks, the Christian life looks like. For someone, and let me define terms here. When I say Christian life, it means someone who is committed to following Jesus. Someone who has made, who has accepted him as Lord of their life. So this is this is not for someone who who uh, who talks about religion. This is not for someone who ascribes to a church or those kind of things. It's talking about someone who is a follower of Christ who has given their life to Christ, and Christ has redeemed them. Their their sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. So this is what that life is to look like, particularly amidst the body of believers. So within a church, this is what the life should look like, but obviously it translates outside of that body as well. So verse 12, we have a description 
of this Christian life, rejoicing in hope, I think you see that there at verse 12, patient in tribulation, and constant in prayer. Now, obviously, we could just kind of take that and go, oh, there's the sermon, there's your three points, and we can go on. But there's a whole lot more to be said, I think, on those uh, in light of the bigger context of Scripture, particularly in the book of Romans. Paul expounds on this. This is not the only time that Paul has said these three thoughts. Rejoice in hope, patient tribulation, constant prayer. In the wider context of Romans, we know that this joy is in Jesus. This hope is for Jesus. So the joy is in Jesus. The hope is for Jesus. And this patience is from Jesus. The tribulation is with Jesus. This constant prayer is through Jesus to God the Father. So this passage, I think, has everything to do with the celebration of Christ's death, burial, burial, and His resurrection. Because it's only because of this event that we celebrate today that we can rejoice in hope of some future event. We'll talk about that in a bit. It's only because of today that we can be patient in tribulation. It's only because of today that we can speak to our Heavenly Father, God. It's only because of today that we get to do these things. So in review, Paul has said to us so far in Romans chapter 12, Because of the mercies of God, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, love one another with family affection, show honor, serve the Lord with great affection. And Real quick, what does he mean by mercies there? What he means is that God has done this work of sending His Son Jesus to this world to infiltrate through the sin of our lives and for those who would receive Him as Savior to redeem them and back to rightful relationship with God. So that right there, the reason that we oftentimes don't think of that as such a grand truth is because we think that we're good people. And the more good we think we are, then the less we think we need Jesus. But the more we understand the depravity of ourselves or the sinfulness of ourselves, the more we understand our need for the gospel. The more we understand our need for the mercies of God. And see, here's the deal. Many of us, when we look at us as good people and we think, well, I'm a generally good person, we le- we're looking strictly horizontal. And we can always find someone worse than ourselves, right? And we always find someone who does more wrong things than I do. But that's not our comparison. That's not our standard. Our standard's God, who is infinitely holy, is infinitely righteous, infinitely just. That's our standard. And so compared to that, there's an infinite gap requiring an infinite sacrifice. That sacrifice made on the cross that we celebrate on Good Friday. Why is it Good Friday? Because that's really good for us. And it's also good for God's glory as well. So, Romans 12, 12, Paul says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, So now, because of the mercies of God, because God has done this in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, because God has redeemed you back to Himself, 
here are the imperatives that we should do and we get to do. And that is rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So because of what God did, we now must do and get to do the following things. So the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is this. Be patient in tribulation. The roots of your joy are being deepened. The roots of your joy are shooting deeper into the ground. Again, this is not a general thing to every person in this world. I heard this on the radio. I, I think it was Light 99.9. I'm never on that station. But uh, anyways, talking about how, you know, our character is made by our pain. And, and, and to a certain extent, that's true. But the kind of joy we're talking about here, the kind of transformation we're talking about here, it's much deeper than that and has much longer consequences for it than just simply becoming better people. So back to 12, we've read it a number of times and we're going to read it a number of times more, but rejoice and hope, be patient in tribulation. This is unique in the list that Paul's given us. The other items we do, this item is done to us. Tribulation is not something that we necessarily do, although it can be a consequence of decisions we make. Oftentimes, tribulation that we face is not something that we have done. It's something that is being done to us. It might be persecution. It could be cancer. Like, none of us went and signed up for cancer, right? Like, none of us, I haven't. Nobody that you know signed up for cancer. Um, that's something that is done to us. That's something that is most of the time, at least, out of our control. So this is unique in the list, the idea of tribulation. Instead, tribulation is the environment where all the other aspects of this text happen. So this idea of rejoicing in hope, constant in prayer, abhor what is evil, these things happen in the midst of tribulation. One thing that I think is a, is a false gospel that's being preached today is that Christians don't need to experience tribulation. That, that if you have enough faith, that you won't have to, like, you can avoid the suffering. Like, if you just have enough faith, you can avoid this pain in your life, and that for some reason Christians deserve to have this nice rich, wealthy, and healthy lifestyle. And that's not what we see represented here. I think those people who preach it just kind of cut these verses out of the text. And, and I'd like to ask them if they're not going to use them, we'd like to use them. Uh, but he says that, be patient in tribulation. This is, he's not saying, have enough faith to avoid tribulation. He's not saying that you who are Christians should not have tribulation. No, he's saying... To be patient in it. He's not even saying, just muster up the faith to get through it so that we can get on to better things. He's saying be patient in tribulation. Be patient in tribulation. So this tribulation, guys, I, I want to tell you that what we're hearing on TV from preachers is the opposite of what Paul's saying here. He's saying that tribulation is, is a normal experience of a believer's life. 
that it's to be expected. It is the setting for our love and joy and hope and patience and prayer. Affliction, this is where we live. It doesn't mean that we have to yearn for more affliction or that we should desire more tribulation. That's not his point. He doesn't say that either. He says be patient in tribulation. And here's the deal. If you're not in the middle of tribulation now, you will be. It's inevitable. Jesus, think about this. Jesus, the only man who ever lived perfectly, experienced great affliction and great tribulation. None of us deserve less affliction than he did. If we experience less affliction than our Savior did, then that is simply God's mercy on us. The peaceful lives we have are merciful gifts from God the Father. So this is the way, this idea of tribulation and affliction, this is the way Christianity began. I mean, so let's think through this a little bit. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 14, verse 27. It says this, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I mean, is Jesus saying, so whoever has enough faith and drives a nice enough car and doesn't have to experience tribulation can come after me? Oh, he's saying that you're going to experience tribulation and you need to be willing to do it if you're going to be my disciple. We think the Christian walk is a cakewalk, right? Like it should be a cakewalk. It should, be, it should get easier, right? Does Jesus say it gets easier? No, he doesn't. Acts 14.22, I encourage you to write these verses down and look at them later. 14.22 says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, through having great faith and having great wealth and health and happiness, we must enter the kingdom of God. He says that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You see, I think we've equated a Christianity with this comfort success slash American dream. And we think that because we're Americans that that somehow trumps our Christianity and our call to live through tribulations. And we think that because we're Americans that we somehow deserve this better grand lifestyle. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. There was much wealth to be had during this time. 1 Peter 4.12 it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What's Peter saying? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. You know, we go through trials and we think, well, I don't deserve this. I don't, I don't see them saying that we don't deserve tribulation, but go through it anyways. He's saying expect it. It's going to happen. So the affliction of our lives, though, extends, let's talk about this for a second, extends from can cancer to calamity to conflict to death. I mean, so this idea of tribulation is a, a wide range, a wide concept. These are all normal and a part of our journey toward heaven. 
For those who are followers of Christ, our journey toward heaven, this is to be expected. And, and it ranges from cancer to calamity, to conflict, to death. This is why Paul says, be patient in tribulation. Let's, now, I want to encourage us to view the resurrection rightly. Like, view it in balance. Yes, it's a day to celebrate. It's a day to be assured of our faith. It's a day to reflect on the greatness of our God to raise His Son from the dead and Jesus to overcome the grave. But it's also a call to suffer with Christ. It's a call to follow Him, to pick up our cross and follow Him. Now the beauty of it is not only is it a call, but it's also that which makes it possible. So if Christ overcame it and He calls us to go, then we have that same power and that same encouragement. And it's made possible because of His work on the cross. Listen to Jesus' words. Like, like we think of Jesus as the dude carrying the lamb that's kind of floating. Like, you all have like little figurines in your house, you know what I'm talking about, where Jesus is holding a lamb. and You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sorry, I'm making fun of your figurines. But Matthew 10, look at this, verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now there's a whole lot going on in there, okay? There's a lot, and we don't have time to exposit that text or to expose the meaning of that text, but uh, Jesus is not just the little light, fluffy figurine carrying the little cute white lamb, okay? Um, had a guy, he goes, you know, have you seen that Jesus? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, like, that's, that's, yes, he is that. He's both the lamb and the lion. You know, I, I hate to say this, uh, it's going to sound a little mean, but I was a little frustrated this morning as I was looking at Facebook. And uh, Facebook is a great source of, like, happiness and frustration in my life. Uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, you know, Here's the deal. You don't get to claim and be excited that He has risen if you don't see it and if you're not going through and willing to go through the tribulations that God has called us to. Like, if you're not willing to pick up the cross and follow Him, like, you don't get to do that. I'm not saying that you can't be excited about it, be unless you're going through something. I'm talking about the concept of it. So, like, if you're not proclaiming the gospel regularly, and I'm not saying that you're beating people, knocking down doors. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're living the gospel. You're living in light of what Jesus has said. Trying to. Not perfect. Trying to. Like, we don't get to be excited on this day. We get to be excited on this day because the gospel has transformed us every other day. I know that sounds mean, but he says that this life of following Christ is a life of tribulation. And part of that involves tribulation because of our commitment to the gospel. Because he talks about here in Matthew that what's going, what is he talking about turning people against? What's he talking about? What he's saying is that, and you profess Christ, people aren't going to like you. He's good. It's going to bring about division. Some may. It doesn't mean that everyone will, but some may. Some may not. 
He's not thinking that I've come to bring peace. He's come to bring the truth. And the truth is divisive. So, the great joy that we find in the pronouncement that He is not here, He is risen, for those who are followers of Christ, this is always threatened by tribulation. So the joy in getting to proclaim that He is risen is always threatened by tribulation. The call in Romans is not to rejoice without tribulation. It's not a call to pray that tribulation would never come our way. It's a call to rejoice in spite of and even because of tribulation. Let me say that again. It's a call to rejoice in spite of and even because of tribulation. Because of suffering. You say, well, how do you get that? How do you get in spite of? How do you get that because of? Let's look at Romans chapter 5. So just seven chapters earlier. And if you want to keep your finger at 12 and keep your finger at 5, these are going to be kind of where we're going to bounce back and forth this, this morning. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says this. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's not by works, not by a church, not by a religion, justified by faith. This is faith in the work of Jesus Christ to cover the sins of our lives by the blood, bloody atonement of the cross. All right, so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also, this is through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope. Right, so he just said in 12, rejoice in hope. Here he says, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay? Now, this is key for helping us understand 12. He says, rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it's plain that Christian joy and hope and patient endurance are not in freedom from tribulation, but in spite of or even because of tribulation. So Christians, stop thinking that I don't deserve to go to this tribulation or I just need to get through this tribulation and get to the brighter grass or greener grass on the other side. He doesn't tell us to do that. He tells us to be patient because this is what happens. That this endurance is produced. His character is changed. And his character produces hope that he says earlier, rejoice in hope in the glory of God. And we're going to define that more clearly as we go. But the point for, I want you to hear for right now is that tribulation is something to be expected. It's not something just to get through. Romans 5.3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We don't just tolerate suffering, because here's the key. The suffering serves the Christian. The suffering serves the Christian. God means this for our good. Satan intends it to destroy us, but God uses it to drive our joy in the hope deeper. It produces this hope that we're going to talk about. For those who would not consider yourself a daily follower, life-giving to Christ, 
tribulation brings you two options. You can run to Jesus or you can run from Jesus. And even for those who are followers of Christ, you have two options daily, almost. You can either run to Jesus or you can run from Him. Running to shows a sign of maturity and belief in the gospel and and belief and trust in God. Running from says trust in yourself and belief in yourself and your own abilities. The one is the gospel, the one is idolatry. So, tribulation. Something to be expected, and it's something to be patiently endured with the perspective that it's being used to serve us in driving our hope and our joy deeper. As you think about trees, have you ever been out into the woods and seen uh, I, I know the place where I hunt at, there was two tornadoes that touched down over uh, about a year and a half ago. And on there, you can go into the woods and you can just see these huge trees. Like, I don't know, 100, 200 feet, like huge trees, you know, and in the middle of the big ravines. And, and they just grow straight up, right, so trying to reach the sunlight. And you just see these things toppled over. And it was like the roots, like the root system of these huge hundred some feet trees, the roots are like maybe that deep. Now they're really wide, but they're like that deep. And imagine what it had been like for that tree had, uh, had his roots been a little deeper. And so for us, I think we find ourselves often being tossed and turned and our emotions are like the vortex at King's Island or a roller coaster if you've never ridden the vortex. or like It's like this because our roots go like this deep. We don't have the perspective that Paul's talking about here. So, tribulation, something to be expected. Something to understand that it serves the Christian. It's not for nothing. God uses it. So as we continue on in this text, in order to understand what God uses tribulation for, we need to understand joy and hope a bit better. So the next kind of big section here in your notes is understanding joy and hope. So I want you to put aside your, your already, like, the definitions that you come into with joy and hope and how we define those things. We often associate joy with affections and emotionalism, and we often have hope in many different things. Like, I hope that McDonald's has not ran out of cheeseburgers. Uh, like, there, what are we, what's this hope? What's the hope? that he's talking about here. So, understanding joy and hope. Let's distinguish between joy and hope and how they are related. First point, our joy is rooted in our hope. Our joy is rooted in our hope. So we better hope that we're hoping in the right thing, right? We better pray that we're hoping in the right thing and that our joy needs to be rooted in the right thing. That's why many of us don't experience joy on a regular basis because it's rooted in the wrong things. Our joy might be rooted in our job or our paycheck or our kids or our house or my work ethic or my communication ability instead of in the right thing. Paul says here to rejoice in hope. So hope looks like the place in which joy is rooted. Paul tells us to be joyful in hope. Christians are to set their hearts on what is to come in the near future. This is what he's talking about when he talks about this Hope. Christians are to set their hearts on how good it will be, hear this, to be in the presence of Christ 
after our death. We can rejoice in tribulation because our hope is not in the present, but it's in the what to come. The future joy, so the joy of this future thing streams back into the presence and should lighten every load. That's the idea. So what makes joy and tribulation possible? Let's talk about this a little bit further. To put it in an, in an imperative sentence, find the basis of your hope in the righteousness of Christ. So we're supposed to have this joy and hope. Let's talk about this hope. What's the hope of? Find the basis. So the foundation or the grounding of your hope is in the righteousness of Christ. Say, so where do we get that from? Let's go back to Romans 5. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So this is the ground of our hope. God declares us righteous. We also sometimes call that justification. On the basis of Christ's blood and righteousness. It's on the basis of His work, not our work, not the church's work. Not a physical blood sacrifice of our day, but the blood sacrifice, physical blood sacrifice of Christ that we celebrate from 2,000 years ago. Verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, as is of Romans chapter 5, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So he's not talking about the molesters and the evil people like that, although he is talking about that, but he's talking about us as well. The ungodly in there includes both them and us. Because at our core, we're just as evil. We're idolaters. Can be idolaters. So there's only one basis of acceptance with God, and that is justification by faith alone and the basis of Christ alone. We don't get to choose our way to God. It's God. He chose the way we get to Him. And then He was gracious enough to give us this way. Like we said a couple weeks ago, or last week I think it was, that it could have been creation, fall, like Adam and Eve sinned, and then the book, final page, could have been right there. Right? So all of us damned to hell, and it could have stopped right there. But God did not stop the story right there. The story continued. And as it continues, the way in which He has provided is through this sacrifice of His righteous Son. That then through Him, that blood and that righteousness could be applied to us. So the ground of our hope, the idea that we can hope in something, is not because we have the emotional heightness right now to feel good about what's coming. It's, it's because that hope in that future event of Christ returning, that that has been assured, that that has been made possible by both the sacrifice on Friday 
and then his resurrection today. We have no hope in the return of Christ without the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate today. So hope. So find the basis of our hope in the righteousness of Christ. Secondly, let the object of your hope be the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. I know that sounds like super churchish, right? That's like church lingo. Um, not a big fan of church lingo, but here we go. That's where we are. That's what the, what the word says. So we're going to talk about it. And kind of what, does, what do we mean by that? Let the object of your hope be the glory of, the, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The goal or object of our hope is at the end of verse 2 from chapter 5. So through Him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the ultimate hope, hear, hear me Christian, the, the ultimate hope of the human heart is not forgiveness or justification or heaven or freedom from disease. There is so much more. The ultimate hope of every heart is the glory of God. To see that glory displayed, to see that we were made to worship God. We were made to treasure God. See, so long in the church we've been talking about moralism and behaviorism and, and how we can be better Christians and how we're to act right and then all we end up being is just a bunch of hypocrites. Like, that's what we talk about in the church. Like, Christians, we get to treasure God instead of settling for something of much less, of infinitely less value. Good Friday happened, today happened, so we sinners would not bear the wrath of this glorious God, but that we would get to see His glory and enjoy it with ever-increasing joy. To behold the glory of God. To worship the glory of God. All this tribulation is not hopeless. It's not without purpose. All this tribulation is to prepare us, get this, for the central weight of God's glory. So we're being prepared in this lifetime to behold the glory of God in the next. We're being perfected so that we might be presented to Christ perfected. So our hope... Our hope, its basis, is the blood and righteousness of Christ by which we are justified through faith. Its goal or its object is the glory of God that we will one day experience in the face of Jesus Christ. I hope that this resonates with some of you. I want you to imagine you see the face of Jesus. And His face is the radiance of God. He's the perfect image of God, right? We know this. He is God. So we're not just looking at a man as you look at my face today. We get to see the glory of God encapsulated in the person or displayed in the person, Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Is that one day we get to see that. We get to be in the presence of that. 
if that does not stir up affections in your heart, I think there's room to question whether or not the gospel has taken residence in your heart. We get to behold, see the glory of God. See, the gospel of God in the people of God yearns for the glory of God. The glory of God in the people of God yearns to see the glory of God. So, he says, and kind of our next, second to last kind of main point is that, he says, find your joy and hope, a hope in beholding the glory of God. So let's talk about this a little bit further. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. We've been talking about this patient tribulation, then we've now defined hope and, and rejoicing in that. Now we're talking about finding our joy, rejoicing. So Christian joy flows from this hope. See, that's why I'm saying, Christians, we oftentimes do not experience this kind of joy because we're finding hope in that which that cannot sustain the kind of joy that we were meant to experience. We were created to experience a joy that transcends the circumstances of this life. So Christian joy flows from this hope. Christian joy, rightful joy, flows from the rightful hope of beholding the glory of God. So you say, well, shouldn't we rejoice in some good things now? Like, isn't there good things on this earth that we can rejoice in now? I think there's two ways to answer this. There's the shepherd way, and then there's the wise man way. The shepherd way. So for you, if this is your life, if tribulation is normal, like you're going through struggle, maybe cancer has hit you, or, or poverty, maybe you don't have that much money, or, or, or whatever, so tribulation is maybe persecution, this has hit you... You stress that joy will flow from hope, not from present good times. So for you, the perspective should be that my joy is not based upon my current circumstances. I liked the story, if you were at Secret Church on Friday night, Dr. Platt talked about going in to see the guy who had a stomach cancer and basically went from being like super healthy and, and fit and in shape to having a stomach pain, to like a month later, literally lying, or sitting, rather, on his deathbed. And Dr. Platt goes to see him, and, uh, you know, what do you say to someone in that sense, uh, in that position, you know, let's say they're a believer, what do you say? Ought to be okay, you know? Like, he said that, uh, he walked to that hospital room, and basically the man looks at him and, and says, I get to see Jesus today. I get to see the glory of God today. And so, Dr. Platt says, no longer does, it'll be okay. No longer does that make sense to say in the situation. Sometimes a tribulation is to remember that these circumstances do not determine my joy. If life is hard, we can either give up on joy or we can get it from hope. And that's hope and not our circumstances will get better, but ultimately our circumstances get perfected, right? Ultimately, we reach heaven and behold the glory of God where all circumstances become, ah, we're here and it is perfect. 
Paul would not give up on joy. Philippians 4.4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. So for some of you, that's an old song. Rejoice in the Lord always. Anybody know that one? Again, I say, rejoice. All right. A few of you. Tribulations are normal, but a glorious coming that will make it all worth it. Tribulations are normal. So that's a shepherd way. What about the wise man way? And I don't mean wise as in... Uh, uh, as in to put them against shepherd, or just using these to describe two different examples. The wise man way, even in those seasons when pleasures abound, where, where life is good, they all point to the creator and goal of pleasure, and that's Christ himself. So we learned that in Ecclesiastes. When life is good, that's not like to point to ourselves and say, okay, it's all grand, like it's good. No, it's to point to the one who gave that to you. And he can rightfully take it away. So Christ, even in that mist where life is good, we need to understand that we still don't get to experience Christ to its fullness, so there still is something infinitely greater awaiting us when we will see him fully so we enjoy his fellowship christ's fellowship impartial now but we'll enjoy it in fullness later without the dis- and what i say by that what i mean by that is without the distraction of sin and suffering and pain those will no longer be in between us and seeing christ it'll be clearer but the purpose of those that tribulation is to bring us through where we place our hope more deeply rooted in that where our joy then comes out from that hope that we have during the time of pain, tribulations, and so on. Let's go back to verse 12 and tie a couple things together. He says this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So patient endurance, talks about love, prayer, rejoicing in hope. I want us to look at Hebrews 12.2. This is kind of a key text, I think, and understand what Paul is saying here. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So he's saying that he did all of this, this rejoicing and hope, patient tribulation, constant prayer. He did all that and then he perfected it. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see the joy in Hebrews 12, uh, 2? Who for the joy. Do you see the hope? What was it that was set before him? The presence of God. You see the tribulation, the cross. So for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So here we have Christ living out what Paul is talking about here in Romans 12. Last big thought for today from Romans 12. Be devoted to prayer, savoring the preciousness of your hope. Be devoted to prayer, savoring the preciousness of your hope. So that last phrase in there says, be constant in Prayer. What's the word constant mean? Some of your Bibles might say devoted. Anybody's Bible say devoted to prayer? 
You can raise your hand. Anybody's Bible say devoted to prayer? Anybody's Bible say faithful in prayer? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, basically those are all good translations. I think what is most helpful, like those are all valid translations or interpretations of that. Like, and in trying to understand what Paul is saying, uh, and there's a whole lot we could look at here, but I think from, from study what is best to help us understand this is that I think devoted for our context is probably one of the best ways to understand that. I, I think the ESV says constant in prayer. I think devoted in prayer, because devoted kind of has two senses, and this is what I think Paul's getting at, and we'll talk about it in a second. But first sense is that it's like a, a designation and an appointment. So we have been appointed to this. Like we are appointing time in our life to prayer. That there's also an action of this appointed task and pressing on in it. So there's this idea of being like set aside, like it is devoted to. So, so my life is devoted to prayer, but there's also a sense in which I am in action carrying that out so it's kind of a twofold thing being devoted so romans let's look at romans 13 6 for an example it says for because of this you also pay taxes for rulers are servants of god devoting themselves to this very thing so you're saying well how does this help us understand this it's not in the content of the sentence it's more in the word usage of devoted that's the same greek word devoted right there that we see in 12 in constant prayer or devoted in prayer so here in this we see where the rulers are servants of god what's that mean it means that god has set them aside has given them to this task but then it goes on saying that they have devoted themselves to this thing so they are committed to carrying this out. So both God has set them aside, as in devoted them, and they are giving themselves to, to get the task done. So there's two different aspects where we set our life aside to be in prayer. And this is a constant prayer. So this is not like I'm, I'm a monk and go live in a cave and all I do is pray. That's, that's not his point. There's a whole lot more to the gospel than just that. But that we are committed to it, we are de- devoted to it, are set aside for it, and then a sense in which we carry out the task. Like we're committed to carrying the task out. It's interesting, this same word, devoted, is only used ten times in the New Testament. Five of those times is used in reference to prayer. Acts one fourteen: All those with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts 2.42 and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowships and the breaking of bread and the prayers. 6.4 of Acts. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So it's pretty clear that the Christian life should be devoted to prayer. There should be a pattern of prayer. I want you to look at your life and ask, is there a pattern of prayer? This pattern will not be the same for everyone. Like we all, not all of us, but many of us grew up in like youth group and it's like, this is how you pray and you got to pray in the morning and, and you know, like the pattern is going to look different for each one of us. Being devoted to prayer certainly does though look different than not being devoted to prayer. 
what this pattern does not look like. Okay, The pattern that Paul's talking about, being constant to prayer, does not look like praying only when crisis enters your life. It does not look like praying only at mealtimes. This pattern of prayer does not look like, now I lay me down to sleep. It does not look like praying for a good parking spot at the store. It does not mean praying that that cop didn't have his radar on. What this pattern does look like, I think there's a subconscious and a conscious aspect to it. Subconsciously, it's something that is intuitive. That your natural response is to seek God, not your own wisdom. Like, it's something that is just, it, it is natural. Like, who do you go to for guidance in your life and for assurance of your faith? Like, what, what's going on in your heart? Something you do without thinking. You pray to God as a natural response. Your heart is continually, and I think this is key, your heart is continually in a position of submission to the will of the Father. So through prayer, prayer is all about us coming in alignment with God, not about informing Him of something that He had no clue about. So in, in prayer, like is that the position of your heart? That it is, it is, I want the will of God in my life. Like is that, would you say, the default mode, the pattern of your intuitiveness that it's just natural then there's also a conscious aspect where it's something that you discipline yourself to do it's also something that you delight in i think that's the aspect that many preachers miss is that it's something that we delight in it's something that we get to do remember the idea of being constant in prayer speaking to god is only made possible because of what we celebrate today we get to do that. So prayer time, a prayer, sorry, prayer is a time for the following and everything in between. So let's talk about kind of two aspects, and then it, and, and this envelops everything in between. One, prayer is for a place, prayer is a place for meeting God when your deepest, with your deepest heartaches. And fears. Prayer is a place for meeting God with your deepest heartaches and fears. Christians, stop running to other places. That's why I like the Psalms so much. Like, you get to run to God. It shows mankind running to God in raw flesh, saying, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this. this. Like, go to God and say, I don't know why you're doing this to me. And ask Him to help you sort that out. He will. So on the other end of the spectrum, prayer is a place for meeting God with your highest joys and thankfulness. Why do we, why do we run when everything's grand? We turn and run to everything else but God. It's because we don't attribute the grandness of our life to God. So by prayer, we will see and enjoy the greatness and preciousness of our hope. It's during this life, no matter the circumstances, that our heart should be devoted to prayer. 
So what is it that's happening when we're devoted to prayer? We're devoted to seeing and understanding and relating and communicating and communing with God. And when we do that, He's going to exalt His Son Jesus in our lives. When we do that, when our heart is in line with God's heart, we will exalt His Son Jesus. And then we, through that, we'll hope to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Listen to what Paul says concerning prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. This might sound a little familiar. Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So here we have the same theme. A recognition that all circumstances are not pleasurable. A recognition that all circumstances are not pleasurable. The imperative to rejoice. The command to rejoice. Obviously we know, because in Romans 12, that Paul means rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope of the future. And he says that this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. For us. So in summary, tribulations are normal conditions of life in this fallen world, but Christ has come. Right? That's what we celebrate today. Christ has come. He has broken into our tribulation and taken it ultimately on Himself. So He says the death has no sting, right? Like we don't face death. We just face the transition between this time to the eternal state with Christ. That's what we face. He has broken into our tribulation, taken on Himself. He's carried our sin, bore our curse, and absorbed God's wrath. He became our righteousness and conquered death and hell and Satan. He opened the door of paradise for all who would trust in Him. In this hope, we rejoice with unexplainable joy And full of glory, we see God and we rejoice in the fact that we have hope in seeing that someday. Even in spite of and even because of our tribulation, which should just drive our joy deeper into the roots of hope. So, what happens? See, typically when tribulation comes, we, we try to find relief everywhere we can. And that's why our lives look like this. But instead, that tribulation should, we should run to one place. It's back to God. Back to our hope in seeing Him. And that's where we find our joy in the middle of that tribulation. We get to see Him. You see, because of the mercies of God, the only thing that makes sense is that our lives would reflect this. That's what Paul's saying. That your spiritual act of worship, this is what it means is your reasonable act of worship. The only thing that makes sense is that you would do this, that you would not run to everything else when tribulation happens, but that you would run to God. These truths are not something that's up for debate. These are not issues that we can disagree on. Paul's very clear. We either hope in the glory of God or we hope in an idol. And this is a daily struggle for all of us. 
If we desire to be a community that reflects God rightly, then we need to be centered around joy and hope of seeing the glory of God. If we have hope in all these other different things, then we will never be unified on anything. But if we all have the same hope that one day we will see His face, we'll be unified. Because at that point, there's a whole lot of other things that seem to no longer matter a whole lot. But to see His face. So the proposition for this morning, I think from the text, is this. That we are united as a community by one common hope that births one common joy. And that this joy is deepened by tribulations as we commune with God together as a body through prayer. So, in closing, I want to encourage you that if you have not, if, you're, if, if this idea of hoping and having joy in this hope of Jesus, if that's a, if that's a foreign concept, I would encourage you to talk uh, to someone, uh, Rusty or myself, or um, whether you're a visitor or a regular attender or a member, and to encourage you, like, these are truths that should be deeply rooted in our hearts. We should be believing these every day. When we go through tribulation and we're going, why, and this isn't fair, and I don't deserve this, like, we're not believing in the truth of what we just talked about this morning. And instead, you're settling for a lie. when we're not constant in prayer, we're settling for a lie. Because we're saying that I can get through this some way else. And when our joy is as fluctuating as the stock market, then our joy is being found in an idol. And if we're not careful, all we'll do is polish that idol off and put it back up on the shelf. Instead of ripping the shelf down and offering up our praise to God and worshiping Him and finding our joy in the hope of Him. In that. So what I want to do is in these next few moments, we're going to sing one more song. And I want to encourage you as we sing this next song, Jesus paid it all. He didn't pay some of it. He paid all of it. He wasn't one of the payments. He was the only payment. So as we sing this song, I want to encourage you, believer, not believer, follow Jesus, not follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to just reflect upon these truths. And if you want help thinking through those or working through those, I'd encourage you to not waste time. Um, so let's reflect on these truths together as we sing together. So let me pray for us. The band will come forward and, and uh, we'll sing. So Father... Again, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. And Father, um, um, life is not, uh, it's not easy. We face tribulations, difficulties, trials, cancer, calamity. And Father, all of us, whether we are a follower of Christ thinking about following Christ, or don't want to have anything to do with it. We're all faced with two options. We can either run to God, we can either run to you, or we can run away from you. And Father, I pray that our hearts 
that you would break our hearts to run to you, that you would show us the delightness of beholding your face one day, Father, that you would show us that, yes, you're a God of wrath and a God who is just, but you are also the justifier. And you have made a way possible for all of us to be in right relationship with you. So, Father, as we sing, I pray that you would, um, that you would encourage hearts, convict hearts, uh, lead us back to your cross. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you all stand with me?